0: Welcome to the Deep Blue On My Doorstep podcast. I'm Tracy Ainsworth from the University of New South Wales. In this podcast series, we will talk to marine experts about the marine environments that we have right on our doorsteps and what we can do to help conserve and protect these blue spaces. Dwan March, welcome back to Deep Blue On My Doorstep podcast. To remind our listeners, Dwan, you're a veterinary scientist working in northern New South Wales, uh, which is a beautiful part of Australia's kind of subtropical coastline. When you are on the podcast previously, Duane, we talked about your work with turtles. Um, Duane, today you're here to talk about your work with whale strandings and whale carcasses that wash up on the beach, which is part of the work you're doing monitoring the health of animals that are swimming around in our oceans. Duane, thanks so much for coming back onto the podcast today and talking a bit more about your work. Thanks for having me. Duan, just how important is it that we know how healthy the animals are that are swimming around in the
1: ocean? Oh, I think it's crucial. I think um, without uh, you know thorough investigation of these events when these critters wash in uh, on the beach, it's a, it's a golden opportunity to to get down there uh, and preferentially save them. I mean, that's always the first priority is to get down there and apply some immediate first aid and, and refloat these animals and, and hopefully get them back out. Um, and best case scenario, we can get them back out and, and we get some blood samples and that sort of stuff uh, in the process, and we can get our information that way. Um, unfortunately, that's not how it goes a lot of the time. Uh, a lot of the time with these whales, with these single cetaceans on the beach, they're on the beach for a reason. Uh they're often very ill um and often will 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 euthanize those animals. But it's not an opportunity lost. I mean, that is actually a perfect opportunity to get a heap of information out of these animals. And a lot of these species are really, really quite rare, uh, really enigmatic, deep diving, pelagic critters. Uh so to get them on the beach, um, even if they don't make it back out, uh, is a golden opportunity to get a whole lot of samples and a whole lot of research done.
0: Yep. Yeah. One of the best pics I've seen of you, Duane, and, and no offense here, but it's pretty awesome picture. Is um, you actually inside a whale carcass from a stranding? It's a photo of you standing inside the whale as you're in there taking photo, uh, taking photos as you're in there taking samples of the organs and and the body parts and things like that. Um, I mean, it sounds pretty 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 gross to to a lot of people the thought of actually walking around inside one of those huge animals that's unfortunately you know washed up dead on the beach um but I think despite those kind of limitations the smells and the gross beards being able to actually see those organs and the gut contents and get right in there and see what's happening must give you a really good insight into the health of that animal
1: oh it's I love it I love it <laughs> um it's like a You know, it's like a detective crime scene, you know, you get down there and and your head starts, you know, thinking about the situation before you before you even get to the animal, you know, like is has it been a big sea event? You know, what's the bathymetry of that kind of area like? Have they kind of washed in through misadventure? What species is it? Are they a social critter? Are we gonna be yet another twenty or thirty of these, you know? Uh, whales on the beach is it a solitary animal and then you get down there and then you've got the animal you know and then you get to assess the body and it you know, has it been sick for a long time or a short time and and then when you actually get inside it that's when the magic happens i think that's when you can you know, pull the gut contents out and and have a look to see whether they've been feeding recently and and then yeah getting those organ samples for further testing uh, looking for infectious agents or pollutants and then you know, it normally takes about six or eight weeks for everything to come together uh, from a lab point of view, uh, and it's cool. It's like a it's like a treasure hunt.
0: Yeah, that's that's such an amazing way to put it. Um, all the way from when you first hear about it and you're heading down the beach to try and see what you'll, you you're going to find and what you're looking at. Um, that's actually really quite amazing to think of it as that kind of detective approach of working out what's happened. I like the way that you mentioned knowing the bathymetry, the social behavior, that's a lot of science that goes into all of those pieces of knowledge that you put together to work out what's going on, right?
1: Oh, there's, I mean, it's the ocean, you know, and there's a pelagic animal. So there's just, there's any number of different variables. Um, And you know we're looking at trends and and stranding trends and species and locations and that sort of stuff we can get a bit of a, a bit of a handle on what's going on um but a lot of the time we never get to the bottom of it and a lot of the time i think it's these factors like you know the bathymetry combined with you know like a high amount of chop on the surface which would just mean like if you're an animal that's supposed to echolocate to navigate i mean you can be effectively blinded with these really uh shallow bays where there's no sound bouncing back and and white caps on the surface and, and I think particularly when you've got poor poor visibility there, I mean, I think ocean conditions sometimes contribute more than any, you know, traumatic or infectious conditions.
0: Wow, that's, um, that's really interesting because I think we all probably automatically assume, you know, something really, really bad must have gone on but um, the fact that you've got those like physical factors in that ocean that could influence what happens to that particular individual animal on that day which it, you know something else might be going on but um that that's quite quite amazing they these animals come from a really long long way like you mentioned they dive really deep they're coming across big distances um so it is ca- that makes it hard to pinpoint what causation there can be in these strandings and carcasses uh, washing in right
1: 100 percent um what is interesting is often we'll get kind of clustered which is, which is weird, um, but it's sort of reflective of something going on out there in the marine environment that's bigger than the individual. You know, so just at the end of last year, in the beginning of this year, we had three Blainesville's beaked whales strand in the space of about six weeks. You know, I think on record there's been about 10 of those in the last, you know, 40 years. So it had three and six weeks. There was some some event, some common event yeah. that linked those animals together, whether they were foraging on, you know, weird that had some you know, toxin and they knock their gut around or whether they had some, you know, some event ties those three animals together and they can be over, you know, a stretch of four or 500 Ks of coastline. Um, but yeah, that, that's not unusual. Like we'll, we'll see that with melon heads, you know, we'll get a melon head, you know, down near Sydney one day and then another one up at, you know, Coffs Harbour the next day and then one on Gold Coast. But despite them being separated temporarily by, you know, mm-hmm. sorry, spatially by hundreds of Ks, you know, they're washing in within 24 hours so yeah. once again some common event and yeah it's 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 interesting
0: yeah yeah well I mean it seems like a, a big space to us but probably to whales cruising up and down the coast in currents it's actually not that big a spread is it if you're looking at that patch of coastline where they might be washing in
1: oh 100 we were following a, a injured leopard seal last year um and we're like oh it's moving 10 or 15k you know each night no worries that's good and then we stopped and took a step back and said wait a second it's moving with the prevailing current you know it's moving yeah. the exact distance that the current's moving that night so the first at first the assumption was this animal's healthy and swimming but yeah you know, they're moving they're moving a long way uh, passively out there particularly with big seas and strong currents
0: yeah that's a really that's a really interesting point actually that they yeah using the currents which makes sense right to to get yeah. around rather than swimming against it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, do better to swim with it. Um, how close are we really to knowing what are the main causes of things like whale strandings and co- and carcasses washing up?
1: When I was first getting into you know this field, maybe ten or fifteen years ago, I read a really good description of whale strandings by a lady named Darlene Ketton. So she's like the godfather of you know whale acoustics, um, and mm. her description was a whale stranding is like a car crash. Uh, so the end result is the car is off the road and the end result in a whale screening is that, you know, the whale's on the beach when it's water. Uh, but there can be a heap of different factors that, that play into that end eventual outcome, you know, and that's where the detective stuff comes in. You know, like if you're looking at a, a car crash and it's like a WRX with P plates and there are mm-hmm. big skid marks leading into it. You know you assume one set of things yeah. um, and if, if it's an old volvo you know you assume something else and it's the same with these different species you now like if we know a little bit about the biology and their behavior um, we can say ah okay well we're thinking here, here's a list of differentials before we even get down there and then yeah yeah so i think there's there's always a bunch of factors uh, there's always going to be multiple reasons and sometimes you know confounding things too you know like we might get a diagnosis of some nasty infectious disease but that may be secondary to some immunosuppressive event from a pollutant stress or yeah.
0: Yeah, No, that that's um that's a super interesting way to think about it. And probably also for listeners who are interested in this and um and maybe come across yep, yeah, maybe come across um You know, whales or dolphins that have stranded or carcasses, for example, that have washed in on the beach. Um, I think a lot of people will probably start to question what's happened and and what is this then going to mean for the ocean? Like, is there a problem? Should I not go swimming? Is it going to attract sharks, for example? Um, What do we know about the kind of flow on effects once we see a whale carcass come in onto a beach? Uh, What should people be thinking about
1: yeah. So that's a really, it's a, it's a great question, but it's such a multifaceted kind of complicated question. <laughs> so, uh, first off, it depends on how the animal meets its ultimate end. You know? So if I've got to euthanize that animal, uh, and we use a bubiturate, then that carcass is contaminated, you know, so whilst the preference, the preference a lot of the time is to touch base with the traditional owners, uh, and they'll have a cultural, uh, preference that the animal is normally buried on site. Uh, and often they'll have to do a, a smoking ceremony or some form of ceremony to pay respect to that animal uh, and then bury it on site and return it to the ecosystem. And that's beautiful. Yeah. Like if we can achieve that, that's that's definitely best case scenario. Unfortunately, you know, if you've got a 15-ton humpback and you've used two litres of um, of a bitchwood, uh, you can't bury that animal because, you know, the next animal to dig it up is going to yeah. get poisoned and, and die, you know. So that critter then needs to be moved. Um, off the beach, uh, and unfortunately, a lot of the time they're taken to, to dump, you know, to a waste transfer uh. station and buried because they are contaminated. Yeah. Um, but if they're not euthanized and they die naturally, as I said, the, the preference is always to bury them on site. But like you said, there's al- there's always a political backlash to that because uh, people don't want whales buried on beaches because the fear is that they'll attract sharks. Yeah. Um, and And definitely when we see these animals strand, uh, fresh and they're in that, you know, intertidal zone in the water. Yeah. Uh, there's oil, there's blood. The sharks come in thick and fast. Uh, you, you know, you, yeah. you throw a drone up at a stranding and there's whites, you know, five metres off the beach. Yeah. Uh, but some interesting work got done recently looking at how much uh, of that leachate actually traverses back into the, the ocean if it's buried high, high up in the dunes. And, and the outcome was not a lot. Yeah. You know, so whilst the public perception is that whales uh, get buried on beaches and attract sharks for years, uh, the science that, that has emerged recently suggests that if, if you bury them high enough out of that groundwater, uh, they're just mummifying. It's a pretty inert kind of carcass. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. And if that's been um, like a traditional practice as well, it um, it kind of makes sense, right? That over time people will have worked out that the safest thing to do and the respectful thing to do, and returning it to the environment is is to return them back into the the beach safely.
1: hundred oh, percent. I mean, definitely at the moment. So just so I can clarify yeah. that the protocol is we take them off the beach. Yeah. Um, because that's the political preference. And I guess the the, the thought is better safe than sorry. Yeah. Um, but th- you know, these can be, particularly if the animal's been euthanized, you know, it can be a pretty emotional um process. You know, like yeah. I've I've put to sleep a lot of things, you know, dogs and cats and birds, and there's something different about putting to sleep a big, you know, 15, 20 ton whale. Uh yeah. so to have that that cultural component and have the traditional owners down there, um, yeah, it makes a difference. And it it's you – know, I mean, you mentioned that case where we're inside the, the sperm yeah. whale. Yeah. Uh, that was that was awesome because it was the best post-mortem ever because yeah. we just had a big 30-ton excavator with a two-meter rock saw and we could just say, cut there, please, and we get a bit of liver and a bit of brain. Yeah. But there's something really that doesn't sit well when you see an animal, like a big, majestic creature like that just kind of sliced and diced up. for. Yeah. To, to remove it off the beach so it's a real it's a tricky one you know carcass management is a massive issue there's no clear easy answer
0: um I, I think that's actually really interesting and really amazing example of all the different factors that come into play in in science that we do as well um like there's a the fascination and the interest in, in getting in and, and finding out what's happened, finding out the cause. And it's obviously a really, really important thing to do, particularly as we're seeing things like our marine environment change, we have to know why, what, yeah. what's going on in the system. But um, to also, I think for people to know that that science happens in with the consideration of how it impacts the community and how people feel, about what's going on is, um, is I think is a really important discussion to have because we often talk about science as being, you know, at arm's length from emotions and people, and we have to be, you know, really cold and clinical about it, which which we do. But um, it's also not done in isolation, right? People people care about what's happening on the beach, and and in their in their environments and to the animals that are in them. I think it's really lovely that you're thinking about that post, um, I can't remember the term you use, that post mortem body yep, handling. Well, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I think it's really lovely discussion to have with the community and see all those different perspectives from like the, how the traditional owners have handled that situation, which is clearly an emotional one. These big beautiful animals, you can see right into their eyes.
1: You know, yeah, yeah.
0: you're there with them as it's happening, and I imagine that must be so difficult.
1: Oh, like I said, I've euthanized I've, I've a lot of stuff, but there was a, that we've done, I've done two large humpbacks, both up around the 20 ton mark. Um, and when you know, you're literally looking at them in the eye because their eye height is about your eye height when yeah. you're standing on the beach, and their eye is like about as big as a baseball. And to see that pupil dilate and that spark of life to go out of a big animal like that, they'll often. You know they're, they're using low frequency sounds. They're doing the guttural vocalizations that just kind of resonate through them and through you. Like yeah, it's full on. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, it's super emotional, but it is also, I mean, not actually the mm-hmm. process of euthanasia. That's probably best done, you um, know, with limited public viewing yeah. uh, because it, it can go wrong too. You know, like yeah. you can it, it can go horribly wrong. Um, but After that, like in terms of engaging the public, there's such important educational opportunities to get these, you know, and i like the kids, like if we're doing a post-mortem on the beach, the kid's like, what's that? And you're like, oh, that's the liver and this is that, and they get right into it. And to be able to do that, you know, like the four areas we look at, it: it's welfare, um, and then there's science, then there's culture, and then there's community slash political expectations. So if we can get, if we can tick those boxes, and my preference is in that order, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the goal.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I love that you talk about getting kids involved and, um, I hope you don't mind mentioning your kids, but I love talking to your kids when they talk about being involved in your work and they're so excited about like the post-mortem side of things and, and what you do if an animal dies and they clearly like that you've inspired those kids and they can, for their age they can talk with so much knowledge about you know animal body parts and and what's happening in the biology and also in the ocean um it's amazing that kids are growing up with that kind of exposure and knowledge
1: yeah i think hadley might be a sociopath i think she likes <laughs> i think she gorgeous. likes cutting up the <laughs> i think she likes cutting up too much she was actually the one of the last post-mortems we did on a little baby Uh, sperm whale um yeah and you know she's great like and they're at that point like you said they're at that point now where they're useful like okay you write that you get the tape measure put your gloves on here um and if you get if you share that experience with with other kids you know like because often you'll have you know it's a public beach you might have a crowd of 30 40 people uh and if you can get those kids interested and engaged with a really kind of you know potentially transformative experience like that they can set them yeah you know, it can it can spark a lifelong interest i think mean, you know
0: yeah exactly and also that lifelong understanding of all those factors you mentioned before um the science the community the political you know understanding of, yes. of engaging the people on the beach and then also that education about all of those all of those factors i i think it's really really a great opportunity to for people and kids to understand all the things that go into um, into the science of what you're trying to do. Um, because even hearing about how, uh, things like the, um, the bathymetry of the beach, um, water movement can impact the animals. Um, it helps people, I think, to understand the complexities of these kinds of situations. So, um, I, I think it's amazing what you're doing there by increasing, you know, understanding of all of those factors. Um, for people who are on the beach when you're doing these things, or who are interested, how can they help you? How can they get involved?
1: So uh, it varies a little bit depending on whether the animal's alive or dead. Um, and the first thing that everyone can do, th- there's legislation around marine mammals that, that are, that's different to other mammals and other animals, sort of things. So there are approach distances. Um, so technically. You know, you're not allowed to get in there and touch, and there's supposed to be a 100-meter exclusion zone even on a dead animal. Um, often that's practically, you know, hard to, to manage because if the animal's alive, you know, you're trying to support the animal in the waves, you're trying to um, make sure it's not rolling around and inhaling a whole lot of water. And if the animal's dead, you know, 100 meters is a is a long way. And if you've got a beach mm-hmm. that's only, you know, 100 meters wide, the animal's in the middle of it, that means mm-hmm. people can't walk past. So people can help. I think just by asking questions and then kind of respecting the answer. So sometimes it's really safe and we say, come on in, have a look, you know, put on a glove and you can touch this. And, wow, and other times amazing. we say, listen, you've got to get back because there is like, you know, a hundred ton worth of machinery working at the moment. And there's a whole lot of, uh, there's a whole lot of dangers. You know, there's a whole lot of biological yeah. and, and mechanical dangers. Um, yeah, I think just, just getting involved and having a chat and, and asking a question and, and not throwing any hate, like a lot of people will, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, particularly if, if an animal gets euthanized, you know, like everyone's like, "Oh, what'd you do that for?" You're like, well, it wasn't it wasn't a knee jerk decision. Now, like yeah. it was a decision that was done in collaboration with a lot of people after a lot of thought. And, and yeah, if, everyone wants to get back out, but yeah, yeah, unfortunately, that's always happened.
0: Yeah, well, sometimes it's in the the best interest of the animal,
1: right? Hundred percent. Yeah, a lot of these dudes that are on the beach, you know, they're not supposed to be on the beach and um. Yeah. And they'll get, you know, particularly if they've got neurological signs, you know, and that's always terminal. In my experience with these guys, if you've got neurological signs, circling so and that sort of stuff, then, yeah, the best thing you can do is is just humanely put them put yeah. them out of their misery because, yeah, they're, they're not going to get better.
0: Yeah. And and this is, for example, where it's happening, like it's natural process um, for the animal. It's um, It's been happening for a long time, right? There's been obviously strandings going on on beaches for a really long time it's there's a factor of, of new influences that can change the outcome for animals in the water but it's also part of life right
1: well yes and no I think definitely like you look at those big pilot whale strandings down there and they've been happening for forever you know what I mean and I think you do have environmental and social factors to play into that and that yeah that's that's part of life you know and and when they strand and they the carcasses go back into the ecosystem then there's a whole lot of you know a whole lot of animals win from that scenario where the, where the whales lose but then there's the other side of the coin as well where we're seeing these emerging diseases that are that are probably directly related to human events you know like the most the most kind of shocking one or the most interesting one is a disease called toxoplasmosis yeah. seen in three and it comes from cat crap you know so the cats are you know are, you know you yeah. know a lot of cats, cats, and, and these are pelagic critters too. Like these aren't just the new, the inshore species that we're seeing it in. So it blows my mind that there's enough cat crap out in the ocean, in the pelagic ocean, uh, to be knocking off whales and dolphins. But that's something we see.
0: Yep. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I was amazed when you sent that that work through that that's being picked up in sick dolphins, um, cat disease, and that's associated yeah. with um, rainfall and, and runoff from the land, right? um
1: we we, we assume yeah
0: yeah um in terms of this connection between what we're doing on the land and then diseases in these big ocean going animals that are you know swimming large distances how do we find those sources um i mean when we're monitoring water quality for example we can see the point source, and we can see the problem close to to where lots of people are. How do we find out what's happening with these animals and and pinpoint the, those kind of sources?
1: I think you've just got to look, uh, and I think if you've got, say, you've got an inshore bottlenose dolphin, like a, a species that's got a relatively small home range, and you know they're going to hang from, say, in my area here, from Sawtell to you know wogalga or something like that. Um, then definitely those animals are vulnerable to compromises in that ecosystem. And we are seeing an increased incidence of skin disease, whether it's fungal or viral, uh, in these near shore species of dolphin. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, they're obviously very vulnerable to local insults. But then, you know, with your bigger migratory species, it gets a bit harder. You know, like if you've got your humpback that's in Antarctica and then heading up to the tropics uh, each year, obviously they're not as vulnerable to local problems, uh, but they may be vulnerable to other problems. You know, they may be bioaccumulating a whole lot of,
0: yeah. you know,
1: funky stuff on based on what they're foraging on. And, um, yeah, I think so. Getting back to it, you just got to look, you know. Yeah. So every time we go to a stranding, we try and get as many samples as possible so that we can look at heavy metals or, yeah. you know, herbicides or pesticides. But then it's hard, you know, like if we get a spike in cadmium in a humpback, we're like, you oh, know, so what does that mean? You know, like yeah. what's it doing? And at yeah. the moment, we don't know. So, wow.
0: um, with those populations you mentioned of like dolphins that are within a within a close area, um, are you seeing increases in human associated diseases in a lot of different locations?
1: Yeah, we're seeing increases in skin disease yeah. um, and in- increased uh, traumatic events like entanglements and that sort of thing. Saying that, the population size doesn't seem to be going down. So the carbon interval stays the same, the fecundity rate of the pod stays the same. Yeah. Um, so whether or not you've just got a bunch of critters that are reproducing fine but have got increased stress, like maybe, this, maybe they're set up for a crash, an yeah. impending crash, um, or maybe they'll just, you know, they'll develop it some immunity to it over the next, you know, 20 or 30 years and and move on. I'm, I'm not sure, but we're definitely seeing – uh, that pop up up and down the East Coast, yeah their skin lesion
0: wow, that's um yeah, that's I think that's pretty yeah concerning um it's a yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a yeah, shame for I the agree. dolphin, and like you like you say, I mean they might be getting along with it now, okay, but what does it mean in ten years that it's unknown is um area research that needs a lot more work
1: a hundred percent the states have these big things called uh unusual mass mortality events where they'll have you know thousand dolphins on the beach and they might yeah. have a disease called morbillivirus. um but there is something that has triggered that that disease you know and virus yeah. has been around in the environment for you know a couple hundred thousand years something's triggering these outbreaks and we don't know what it is whether it's chronic stress or exposure yeah. to anthropogenic pollutants and we don't know so Hopefully, we're not, we've been pretty lucky touch wood yeah. down here that we haven't had any of these big events. Um, and they're different from those mass strandings that have got those social factors. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe it's on the horizon. Hopefully not, but maybe.
0: Um, before we finish up, how, how do we know, like, how do we document over time, long term, um, whether these um, strandings and events are increasing? Um, is is there something you're you're looking at, or are you talking to um, to Indigenous groups with generational knowledge? Is there a way we can find out more about how um, these events may be changing over time here in Australia?
1: That's an awesome idea. We haven't. I mean, we've just started. Really, we've done a pretty poor job really engaging the Indigenous community in these events over the last fifteen years or so, and we're getting we're getting better. Um, there's been none of that generational uh, questioning or or asking. National parks have got pretty good records going back about 30 years or so. They've got uh, you know trends and and frequencies and that sort of stuff. I definitely think that there's scope there to combine the two, you know, to get the the science, you know, that national parks put in their data, and that that generational knowledge from elders up and down the coast. And even anecdotal stuff from fishermen, you know, like with the Killers of Eden and that sort of stuff back in the day yeah. uh, to try and tie it all up. Um, at the moment, I think, I mean, sperm whales, I think, are a species that have been flagged as a bit of a, a worry. Um, but most of our inshore critters, apart from skin lesions, from a number point of view, they, they're going okay. Yeah.
0: Um, and
1: why sperm whales? I don't know. I've got no idea. But that yeah. was apparently one of the the red flags that went up recently. So. Wow.
0: Oh, that's good for people to know. Um, look, Duane, uh, what do you need to help with the work you're doing? How can how can people get involved or support what you're trying to do? Um, what's the
1: next step? So we've got a network of volunteers uh, through our organisation, which is Dolphin Marine Rescue, and that is awesome uh, that we work with ORCA. So ORCA are, are monitoring the coastline and helping out with national parks so that if the, there is, you know, a carcass on the beach, it means we get a call, you know, when the animal's alive, preferably, um, or when the animal's freshly dead, and it's just more boots on the ground. Um, yeah, so I guess joining a group like Orca or Dolph Marine Rescue to, to get out there and have a look and, and be become aware, I guess, of, of the marine environment and the critters that are in it. Yeah, that's about it,
0: I think. That's it. Oh, that's awesome. Um, thank you so much. I I loved that. It was um for me, I think what will really stick with me was you you talking about what it's actually like to be with those stranded animals um when when they come in um, dead and, and what you're trying to do. Uh, when you're down on the beach taking samples and and studying the carcass and then also what you were saying about your priorities when you have to um, have to euthanize an animal and that that experience i think that's um, something we can all really learn from about the importance of not just our work but also how it fits into a bigger picture so thank you so much for sharing that with us today
1: thanks for having me back
0: cheers Thank you for listening to the Deep Blue On My Doorstep podcast. Don't forget to check out our website at events.unsw.edu.au where you'll find all the photographs from this podcast series featuring the beautiful places that we've been discussing and the organisms found in these blue spaces.